my soul began to fill with dread at such a prospect. Gone my hopes, my dreams. Could any machinations, any schemes be found by which I might avert this fate? There was no recourse for me, no debate with my divine opponent. I would have to wait to see how he would carry out my fate. Welcome to the Inverse Theology Project. I'm your host, T.M. Moore. In this edition of the Inverse Theology Project, we listen in as Satan shrugs off his rejection from heaven and begins to contemplate his course of revenge against God. His plan, as it turns out, is as simple as it was effective, leading him once again to delusions of grandeur regarding the throne of God. Here, in Heroic Couplets, is part two of Satan Bound. I told myself, that is, on better days, well, this is not so bad. There must be ways I have not yet considered that I can revenge myself against the harsh, hard hand of the Almighty. So my fevered brain worked overtime on how I might regain my self-respect and wreck the plans of him who shamed and humbled me. It was a grim, unlikely prospect, I admit, but I resolved that I would every program try till I achieved success. It rankled me to fits of howling every time I'd see the man and woman in that placid place, enjoying sweet communion with the face of God. And then it came to me. Why should these creatures be allowed to know the good and precious gifts of God? Why not design some ruse or scurrilous scheme to make them mine instead? Now that would be a victory to celebrate. For then the earth would be my proud domain, and I would rule the heart and soul of every man. But how to part them from the Maker long enough to try their loyalty? And how on earth would I persuade them to submit to me instead of Him? A plan took place within my head. Admitted it was quite far-fetched, but in its sheer simplicity I thought to win them over and to foil the Maker's plan and spoil their happiness. So I began to formulate my purpose. I would urge them to indulge their fancies and to splurge upon the fruit that God had strictly warned them to avoid on pain of death. I churned with glee to think of them obeying me and satisfying all their lusts to see if they might be like Him. I waited for my opportunity to come, and more than once initiated my approach. And then one day, I saw the chance to broach my question. While the woman and the man alone were walking in the garden hand in hand, I knew that this was it, and so I donned a serpent's skin and went to show myself to them. I posed my question to the woman. Tell me, woman, is it true that God has said you may not eat from all the trees within this lovely place? Her small voice answered, From these many trees we may indeed enjoy the fruit, but God did say we must not eat the fruit upon the tree there in the center of the garden. We may not so much as touch it, lest we die. I saw that she exaggerated by a little the Creator's word. Was she resentful of his prohibition? Glee was rising in my voice as I on I pressed. I might have known, indeed, I might have guessed as much. It is not true. You shall not die. For God knows from the moment that you try this sweetest fruit, your eyes will open wide, and you will be like him. The man beside her stood, but uttered not a word. She let her eyes embrace the fatal fruit and set her heart upon it. 
I was trembling so with fear and joy as I observed her go up to the tree and take the fruit in hand. She glanced back at the man, but no command or warning left his lusting lips. Now she had grasped the dread delight, could plainly see that nothing ill had happened to her, and consumed a cautious bite. I saw her hand begin to tremble slightly as she ate another mouthful and then gave the bait unto her husband who consumed it all. And I, exhilarated at the pall of death that filled their faces, watched with glee as they accomplished my sweet victory. I saw the shame that overwhelmed them and the look of horror in their eyes. The man grew crimson and began to sweat with fear. The woman tried in vain to huddle near to him, but he rejected her and rushed to gather foliage from a nearby bush to make crude coverings for their shame. I shrieked with joy to see them fallen, helpless, weak, and ruined. Now we shall see which one of us is servant, which is master. In the fuss and frenzy of the sight, I entertained the thought, indeed the hope, that I had gained revenge, revenge against the deity. I let my mind indulge in fantasies of yet achieving victory complete, that is, of dispossessing God himself of his eternal throne. All through that night I thought of nothing else, for now his scepter ought to be my own, since I had overcome the crown of his creation. Meanwhile, from the garden I could hear the woman and the man whose voices made me understand that they were arguing and laying blame on one another for their guilt and shame. Their shouts and tears were music to my ears. Tomorrow I'd confirm their deepest fears and make them serve my every whim. For now I'd just relax a bit and enjoy the row and wait for daylight. Oh, what sweet repose was mine, as dreams of how I would depose the King of Glory filled my brain. I could not know, of course, what awful judgment would await me in the morning. When the light appeared at last to drive away the night, I hurried to the garden, where I found the man and woman hiding from the sound of God as he came seeking them. He spoke first to the man, and as his query broke the silence, I could feel my confidence begin to wane. I thought of what defense I might present on my behalf if he should question me, and felt myself to be somehow in greater danger than when I had challenged Michael's might in heaven's high and holy court. Thoughts raced within my brain and, and blurred my mind as hope began to drain away. I did not even hear what passed between him and the humans. Then, as fast as was my fall from grace, he turned to me. And as for you, from henceforth you shall be condemned to go upon your belly and consume the dust, and I will raise a man up from the woman's seed, an enemy to conquer and destroy you, and though he will know the pain of death upon his heel at your own hand, you shall surely feel his wrath, for he shall crush your hideous head. And now my soul began to fill with dread at such a prospect. Gone my hopes, my dreams. Could, could any machinations, any schemes be found by which I might avert this fate? There was no recourse for me, no debate with my divine opponent. I would have to wait and see how he would carry out my fate. But in my condemnation I'll relate that, though I trembled, I was filled with hate. I gnashed my teeth and tore my demon flesh to hear the Almighty promise he would bless this fallen duo yet. Though some might say my plan had failed, well, that's not quite the way I saw it. After all, I was still free to roam the earth, and opportunity would come again to wreck the sovereign's plan. No time for moping. 
Quickly I began exploring options, positing the best ways to subvert the deity and wrest dominion from him in these puny bags of bone and flesh clothed now in bloody rags of sacrifice, expelled from paradise to work the ground in sweat and pain. How nice, I thought, if I am not to be the lord of this fair place, now by the angel's sword protected, that they should expel me too. Let thorns and thistles flourish and subdue the precious place, and let its beauty rot and go to seed. I gloated at the thought of it. Good riddance, stupid image-bearers. Already things were looking somewhat fairer as I took to the airy regions of the sky and surveyed earth from high above. With what delight did I envision all the waste and ruin that this mortal fall would wreak upon creation. Surely God regretted giving to that sack of sod dominion over the earth. Now I would rule God's masterwork, and I alone would school mere mortals in the finer points of sin and self-indulgence, in the gathering din of cheering demon hosts who looked with awe on my achievement. Suddenly I saw a way to carry on the war that cost my place in heaven. Here, among the lost, blind, foolish tribes of men, I would unfurl my baleful banners, pitch my tents, and hurl my fury at creation's crown. With my devoted host to rally at my cry, I would my snubbing and rejection soothe, my pride restore, and all my prowess prove by wrecking every good work God might do. A war of mere attrition, it is true, but vicious war and raging nonetheless. So let him promise men that he will bless them. I would blind them to his truth. Let God insist they worship only him. They'll nod and bow to every dumb created thing at my suggestion. Let them bid let him bid them bring him offerings. I will teach them to indulge themselves and make their sin struck eyeballs bulge at every sort of stuff. Let God insist on righteousness. I'll see the thought dismissed from their agendas and will teach them to compare their ways with what their neighbors do and justify themselves accordingly. Let God say what he will. It is to me they will take heed. My voice they will obey. My pleasure satisfy by night and day. And I will teach them how to rationalize their thoughts and actions so that they despise their maker even as they think to please him. I will make the most of this disease of sin and prove by human frailty and complicity that in this blighted land where pain, confusion, war, and death obtain, there is but one sufficient, such a reign to manage, one to whom such power is given, who yet shall gain his rightful place in heaven. That brings to a close Volume 2 of the Inverse Theology Project. Visit our website, www.ailbe.org, to discover the wealth of resources available to help you grow in your walk with and work for the Lord. Volume 3 of the Inverse Theology Project opens with our next installment, in which we'll find Solomon musing on the large issues of life in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Until then, for the Fellowship of Ialba and the Inverse Theology Project, this is T.M. Moore.